misunderstood. Yeah. Some say that he's up to no good around the neighborhood. Revolve your information. A lot of my brothers got education. Now check it. You got your Wall Street brother. Your blue collar brother. You're down for whatever chilling on the corner brother. My name is Lalu Davies Yemington, and you're listening to My Brother Podcast. CSI is perhaps the most famous um, show about crime that's been on TV over the last decade. Oftentimes it focuses not just on the criminal acts that are performed, but the investigators. And one focal piece of that investigation typically is the medical examiner. My guest today, Roger Mitchell, is the Washington DC uh, medical examiner. Roger, thanks so much for uh, making yourself available. I know you're on a tight schedule. We're in the midst of a pandemic. If you would just start by telling the audience a bit about yourself and your background. No, I appreciate it. Um, it's great to be here on, on My Brother. Um, I think it's a fantastic platform uh, to talk about um, the, in, in the importance of, uh, uh, of bringing different images in front of our people. Um, uh, I'm a father, a husband a um a physician a minister um i'm an individual who uh serves in community um and you know yes i'm a forensic pathologist and and that's my area of medicine um but primarily i'm a violence preventionist and look at violence as a public health issue um and use um our platform to 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 do that thank you so much i was uh i guess you gave us sort of your 30 second elevator pitch but I want to ask you to go a bit further back. Talk to us about where you're from and your upbringing. Well, I'm from New Jersey, uh, born and raised uh, from South Orange, uh, New Jersey, uh, which is a suburb of Newark, New Jersey. My uh, my father was an entrepreneur and a um, uh, a businessman. My mother uh, and was uh, he was born of a of a, a welder, a steel welder, uh, and a homemaker. Um, that my grandfather and, and grandmother were in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and uh, he's a World War, he was a World War II veteran. Uh, my father served in Korea, um, and they came up to New Jersey, uh, my father's family from Georgia, where they owned a, a church called Mitchell Grove Baptist Church um, right at the end of slavery. Um, and they had to move to New Jersey because um, they killed, there was brothers that killed a white man after the lynching of one of my great, great aunts. Um, and so they fled to the north um, because of that altercation um, right post-slavery in the late 1800s and the 1890s. Um, my mother's family uh, were never slave. They settled one of the, the earliest um, uh, colonial areas in New Jersey called Gouldstown. Um, and they intermarried with the Lenny Lenape Indians. Uh, they were up from Barbados as sea, uh, uh, sea merchants and settled that. And um, my grandmother is part of that lineage, um, uh, a Pierce in Southern New Jersey. And they met my, the the Pierces, my, my grandmother, Edith Pierce Marshall, she met my grandfather, H. Donald Marshall at Howard University. 
my grandfather was on my mother's side, H. Donald Marshall, uh, graduated Howard Medical School in 1932. Um, he went to Lincoln in uh, University in Pennsylvania in 1928. Uh, and so was one of the first black physicians in New Jersey. And so I grew up, I have two sisters, um, had a family unit, and then my father fell to crack cocaine um, in the uh, early 1980s. Um, and so left the house. And so I was raised by a single mother um, and a, had a crack cocaine addicted father and connected with the legacy and the um, tradition of my grandfather, uh, H. Donald Marshall. So once I couldn't be like my father um, because of his fall, um, I connected with another image, um, uh, another legacy in the form of my grandfather. And that's important, right? Because um, I was raised by men that weren't my biological father. I was raised by neighbors and coaches and uncles um, with and, and had an image around me of my grandfather who uh, really became the beacon of who I wanted to be. He lived in the community that he served. He was a black bag physician um, that delivered babies and saw sick children and saw sick adults and did minor surgery. Um, he was during the Green Book era. So he, you know, when people, famous people came to Atlantic City because that's where my family's from, they would yeah. stay with him um, versus stay at the hotels where they would have shabby accommodations like a Dizzy Gillespie or Charles Drew, uh, the famous um, surgeon and physician from Howard University. So we grew up with this, this, these stories about my grandfather and his piety and his service um, and his willingness to serve. And so I connected with that early and, and wanted to become like him. And so, you know, uh, I wanted to go to Howard University undergraduate. So I, I went to Howard University. Uh, I was blessed to meet my wife there uh, almost 30 years ago, 28 years ago, Angelique. Um, uh, we've been married, it'll be 18 years in August. Uh, I have a 17 year old son, Nathaniel, a, a 15 year old daughter, Nina, and a 13 year old son, Matthew. Uh, we have a busy house. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and we serve, we serve. And so I'm a physician here, forensic pathologist here in, in Washington, DC. And um, uh, she's in nursing school and, and my, my oldest wants to be an actor. And, you know, my, my middle one wants to be an artist and, and, and philanthropist. And so, um, you know, we're raising a household uh, that believes in God as the central of our, of our, of our movement and, and, and our being. I'm a minister of the gospel. Uh, I'm in seminary. Um, and so we, we, we are constantly trying to improve ourselves for community. Um, and so my, my main area of ministry was, is within the prison. And so prior to COVID, we were running a Sunday evening Bible study at the local jail. Uh, and then we moved to a Zoom platform, and now um, we're not in that platform until until COVID ends, so that we can get back into um, the the DC jail and be able to serve those brothers on the inside. Um, but we still serve their families on the outside and still love them through 
the issues that they're going through. So um, it's a lot more, but I, I'll stop there. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. Who would have thought that in 2020 would be having uh, prison ministry via Zoom? Uh, that's just remarkable. And it's like, why hadn't we thought about that? Because so many people need to be reached all across the country. You know, not all jails or prison facilities are readily accessible and the need for that edification is even more profound now. So kudos to you uh, yeah. for what, what you guys are, are, are doing. And I know that the spiritual uh, side is such an important part of who you are. That's right. But I want to go back a few years. Uh, you decide on Howard. What was your high school experience like that led you to Howard? Because Howard isn't like the, you don't just send them an application and they welcome you in. Yeah. 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 You know, my high school experience is funny because um, I had a single mother and my sister is about six years. My sister that's closest to me, is six years older than me. So she's gone. And so it's really just me and my mother. And um, so I was a freshman in South Orange, New Jersey, uh, freshman in high school. But we moved um, in the middle of my freshman year in January, freshman year to uh, Princeton Junction, um, which is kind of like a suburb of Princeton. Princeton's already a suburb. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this Princeton Junction or West Windsor, uh, West Windsor, um, New Jersey, which is, you know, and a pretty affluent area, uh, middle class, upper middle class. And so I went to a high school uh, that was majority uh, white high school, um, uh, but, but diverse because a lot of Asian, a um, lot of Indian, um, uh, East Indian um, individuals, um, and then there was a handful of African Americans. Um, and so I was met there with this culture of kind of like a smoldering racism. Um, mm. I remember when I, I was in AP science and math in my old high school, and they I, I came in and they've had me in this kind of basic math and science and you know mm -hmm. learning about the solar system and i'm like wait i'm a freshman in high school you know i was doing you know anatomy of uh of of you know amphibians when i was in middle school um so i need to be doing a higher level of science and mathematics and i was met with resistance immediately mm -hmm. the school you're coming from that wasn't a school that was at the level we are at the school you're coming from really, you know, and so I told my mother and, you know, it's so important to have an advocate, you know, it's if you're out here trying to navigate as a young person and don't have a solid advocate, um, whether it's your coach, whether it's your mentor, whether it's your parent or your grandparent, you need to have someone who sees potential in you and then helps you achieve that potential, even if you don't want to. Now, I was motivated because, again, I had a crack cocaine addicted father. Um, and so I had something to prove mm -hmm. uh, to the world around me that I had value. Um, and really, I was trying to create an environment so that my father could, could come see me. So if I could talk in front of a crowd, if I could um be on the high school football team then maybe there was a place in the stands for my father right and so i um 
eventually my mother advocated I was able to get into these higher level math and science classes that kind of prepared me and I did well. Um, I did well in the math and science. We proved ourselves um, there. I was also, you know, I'm only five, eight right now, 200 pounds. Right. But back then I was five, eight, 164 pounds, small guy. Uh, but I was high school, you know, by the time I was freshman, I mean, by the time I was a senior, I was captain of my high school football team. So um, always have been a motivator and leader of, of people, particularly of men, even at that age, 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, and, um, you know, we were an okay team. Anytime your captain is 5'8", 164, and you play on the offensive line, you're not that good of a team. Um, but we had legacy of a good team. And so I was a leader in, in the high school. Um, and I was also on the stage. I was an actor in the high school plays and in the high school musicals. Um, and that gave me the ability to articulate my thoughts, be comfortable in front of groups of people. Um, so all of those experiences from being a high school leader, being in advanced courses, and then also being on the stage put me mm -hmm. in a position where I was well-rounded to be able to articulate. I left, I left um, uh, high school with a 3.6 GPA, um, which weighted in that high school probably closer to a 4.0. Uh, and so that put me in position. I did not do well on my SATs, um, but we were in a time when um, there was uh, uh, affirmative action, there was quotas. I lived in that, in that period of time where um, African-American males uh, particularly were given second looks if you had things that were tangible, even if everything wasn't perfect. Um, and so, uh, so, and then I had a history and tradition at Howard. Um, so legacy at Howard plays also a role. So um, I was a good bet um, for Howard to come in. And when, you know, uh, and so I applied to three school, three schools. Mm -hmm. uh, I applied to Howard, Morehouse, and, um, uh, and Syracuse, uh, and um, uh, I, I was I was set on Howard. I got into Morehouse before I got into Howard, um, and then um, uh, about three weeks later, after I got my Morehouse acceptance, I got Howard's acceptance, and um, I knew sky's the limit from there. And I was I was brought in to do an MD a BSMD program, the accelerated. BSMD program, which would be six years and I would be out with my both BS and MD. Um, I did a summer program that would gave me a, a glimpse of what the BSMD program would be. Uh, I made a decision just to get my four year degree. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I wanted I wanted a life. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. let, me, let me tell you, uh, I never was a um, a straight A student. And the reason why I wasn't a straight A student is because I had other things that I was interested in. So I was a A B student. Mm -hmm. And that 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 room to get the B gave me the ability to do the social things 
um, that I was good at being able to, 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 to engage people and to do plays and be on the football team. I was able to maintain a good GPA. And so in college, um, I felt the same way. I wanted to be able to have a balance to my education. So in college, I was an AB student. Um, but I ran, you know, one of the biggest organizations called Campus Pals, which was an orientation group that brought new students into uh, into the um, the school. I was the chief of staff for the Howard University Student Association um, for a term, uh, and then I worked two jobs. I worked at the Washington Hospital Center was as an EKG technician, and I worked at the local uh, department store uh, selling shoes. So. Um, and I did research while I was at Howard. So, you know, I was able to maintain a GPA, but also touch the things that also would make me excited about life. And, and that's that's important when we're talking to young people. We make such an emphasis on the grades and the grades are important. You've got to get the grades. Um, but if all you have, have are grades and you don't have other things that interest you and stimulate you, um, then 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 you're going to be it's going to be you're going to be hard pressed to 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 be as successful as you can be yeah well you've uh, unpacked so much yeah. in that bit that you shared i often uh young people in high school at least when they ask me what should they be thinking about i often encourage get in the bait club or an act yeah. theater yeah. because yeah. i just communication is such an essential part of what you need in life that to me that's where you can build that foundation and then leadership early on that's so essential i often think team sports for example can be something that helps you cultivate this spirit of working together okay. and obviously having to step up and be responsible and accountable to others then uh the cherry on top having balance uh you know it is okay to be an AB student. You might not, I'm sure you don't know this. My degree is in biotechnology as well. So I always used to tell my friends, I was the cool nerd. Like, you know, I hung out with all the science kids and I went to a, you know, it wasn't like Howard where, you know, it was, you know, black Mecca. My college experience was, you know, drastically different than yours, but it was still relevant that I was able to go to, uh, you know, to, to, to be at a campus where you could have balance. So that rich experience obviously is very much reflected in your life and who you are today. But they're in between Howard and you becoming a, a medical doctor, you then choose to attend medical school in New Jersey. How, how did you reach that decision? And then kind of uh, give us a synopsis of what the medical school, that dreaded medical school experience was like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Lalo, it, 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 man, you know, there's no blueprint to this success. The only the the only real blueprint is to know that there are going to be barriers. There are going to be hills and valleys um, to movement towards any any level of success. Um, when I was in undergrad and I was working hard and doing the things um, that I needed to do to get into medical school, I, I remember I was a, a junior going into my senior year. I was working at the hospital center. Um, I was working at the Gap selling clothes 
and I had a research, a free uh, uh, research with a small stipend, and I was doing HIV and AIDS research, um, utilizing DNA recombinant technology. And DNA was very new. This was in the 19, uh, this was 1995. Um, and so DNA was really new. And the big thing surrounding DNA was the OJ Simpson trial. Um, right. And so identifying and they were, you know, so forensics was thrust into the forefront of, of American consciousness back in, you know, from 93 to 96, which was the time we were dealing with OJ Simpson. And I remember that I was taking DNA and, and, and placing DNA into, um, into bacteria and growing DNA and then extracting the DNA of the bacteria to try to identify a small piece of DNA that might be able to be put into white blood cells to be able to fight against the HIV virus. And I had um, a very good mentor, um, Dr. Ohi, I believe his name was, um, Asian gentleman in the sickle cell center um, for research at Howard. And I had a postdoc that was next to me and I was a, 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 hadn't yet had my bachelor's of science. And the level of technical precision that I had in that laboratory was above and beyond the postdoc. And he expressed that to me. He said, wow, you, your aptitude, your ability to do the work, your understanding of the principles, amazing. You're going to be a great physician. And at that point, they were talking about forensics, forensics, and they were talking about DNA. And I was doing that work. And I said, I'm tired. You know, I don't, I don't want to go to medical school anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to go to medical school anymore. I, I want to do something different. And so um, I made the decision to want to go into forensic science. And it was brand new. And so I applied to all of these institutions across the eastern seaboard because i also was um trying to marry this little girl that i had met at howard right um and so i said i need a job i can't go straight to med school i need a job because i want to marry this girl and um so i'm a throwback man i'm like from dude from the 1920s man when you want to get married and you're 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 only 20 years old right Mm -hmm. But, but but that being said um uh the fbi was hiring uh and the fbi was hiring forensic biologists and they were moving all their 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 um uh, examiners that were agents out of the laboratory and replacing them with scientists and again this was a time of quota and this was a time of affirmative action right so when you say quota and affirmative action people are like oh man they you 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 took advantage you you were a product of affirmative action I, i'm a product of affirmative action right um uh because the fbi had 250 applications for three slots mm. 250 applications for three slots they they interviewed 25 people 10 percent for three slots I was one of the three people that became a forensic biologist um, in 1997. I was the first black man in FBI DNA laboratories, right? In 1997. And, um, and when I was there, 
uh, I remember Sam Bechtel, who Dr. Sam Bechtel, God rest his soul. He, he taught me everything that I learned about forensic biology. Great mentor. He, he suggested that he would quit if I was placed under him as a, as a technician because he was raised in Virginia to believe that black people were lazy and that they would not work. I was there for about a year and a half. About a year in, I realized I wanted to go to medical school again. And I wanted to be a forensic pathologist because I was exposed to forensics and I was exposed to forensic pathology. Now I knew what type of medicine that I wanted to do. And it made sense for me to go to medical school now, right? So mm -hmm. while I was there, I worked harder. I became the serology team leader. Um, he, you know, on the way out said to me, he said, um, you know, I, I apologize. And he told me, he confessed to me um, <laughs> how he felt about having a black man, uh, a young black man under him and, and, and revealed to me that I had worked harder than anyone that he had ever seen. Um, hard work is my great equalizer. I, I may not be the, the, the fastest, the tallest. I may not be able to jump the highest. I may not be able to um, uh, 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 be the smoothest, you know what I'm saying? But, but you, you will not outwork me. You will not. If it's a, if it's a work competition, I'm going to work and I'm going to spend that time. And so I got exposed to forensics through the FBI as a forensic scientist and then made the decision to go to uh, medical school. I got into New Jersey medical school um, by mistake. You said you're a biotechnology. I applied to medical school, Howard Med and New Jersey Medical School. I'm from New Jersey um, and I went to Howard. So I said, I'll apply to those two. Find out why I did, don't get in. Like I applied to see why I would not get in mm -hmm. so that I could work on the things that would let me get in the next time. Wow. Right. And so I gotten into Hopkins as a uh, in their biotechnology master's program before I applied to med school, because I said, I know I'm gonna need to go get better grades. I had a 3.2 GPA. So 3.2 GPA, which is a solid B GPA, is not enough to get into med school. You need a 3.6 or above to get into med school. So I said, I know I'm not. So I'll go ahead and get a three, a 4.0 in this master's program and then reapply. Um, so I had gotten into the biotech program, was about to start the biotech program, applied to to, to medical school with my MCAT scores and messed around and got in. I, I was I was flabbergasted. Let me, you know what? Again, affirmative action. Mm. So I'm riding this wave of affirmative action where I'm, you know, I'm an ex, I'm excellent, right? And 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 the and we'll talk about the proof of that it was a good investment, sure. right? We, we, we'll be able to fast forward, right? That it was a good investment, but but I got in New Jersey Med School, man. And let me just tell you this, because I know you got some more questions for me, but um, med school is like drinking from a fire hydrant and, and, and being told you need to get all the water and not get wet. Mm. So imagine having a drink from a fire hydrant. I don't know where you're from, you know where I'm Nigeria. from. Nigeria. 
We don't have fire hydrants. Fire hydrants but <laughs> those that know from the city or from the block, those fire hydrants are under heavy pressure. A lot of times we played in those fire hydrants. You don't want to get too close because you find yourself on your back because that's how mm. hard the water is coming out. So imagine being told you got to get all the water, not a drop can hit the ground. And you can't get wet. It's impossible. Med school is impossible. So you have to develop a strategy. So what I say is you stand to the side, get a straw and you sip. Because with the straw, you know, you're going to get as much as you can potentially get. You can't get more. You're going to get full and you're not getting wet and you're not on your back from the pressure. And so did I get everything? No, it's, it's not. There's no way for you to get everything. That's why medicine is a practice. That's why that's why I'm still learning now. Uh, 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 goodness, uh, I graduated med school in 2003. So now almost, you know, 20, 20 years later, um, I'm still practicing medicine. Right. Um, but med school was great, man. While I was there, I got into leadership, became the National Violence Prevention uh, Chair for the Nas Student National Medical Association, wrote the first paper on uh, police brutality as a as a health issue um, back in, in, in 1999. Um, uh, I um, started developing curriculum for juveniles and juvenile detention while I was there. Um, you know, uh, started, I was president of the local chapter of the Student National Medical Association while I was there. Um, I did a, a, a scholars program where I left med school for a year and worked at NYU as a pathology resident. So I did a year of residency while in medical school um, and then came back to medical school, finished medical school, and then started my residency at GW, um, having already done a year of residency before I got out of medical school. Um, so, 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 a, 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 a path that was, that was blazed, but a path that I saw the familiar footsteps on, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many that came before me. Um, I, I said, well, let me blaze this thing a little bit wider. So there's some more people can see, um, how to get, uh, to this level. So med school was no joke. Um, I failed my step one boards. Had to retake, had to retake it, messing around with some girl, right? Thought I could pass it, but was messing around. Um, I, I retook it, passed it, did well. Failed my step two boards, and you have to get finished step two to get out of med school. Failed those step two boards. I had just had my son uh, in my last year of medical school. I got married, had my son the last year of medical school uh, to my college sweetheart, the same young lady I was trying to marry back when I was. Uh, it Howard um, and uh, failed it, you know, surrounding the, the, the birth of my, my son. I had to take my boards um, a month after my son was born, uh, but retook it. I uh, did well and have had no problem with standardized tests since. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, med school was uh, the journey from undergrad um, through med school was 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 not straightforward for me. And it was my own. Uh, and I don't. Uh, I, I loved every minute of it. You know, I tell anybody that's going to med school, take a year off, take some time off, do a post back, do, do a master's, yeah. you know, do some research, teach abroad, go, 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 go to Africa and teach, teach there, do something um, that solidifies who you are 
Um, so your identity is not caught up in the ivory tower mentality of physicians. Yeah. So important. So important. Um, you, I mean, you finish medical school, you're done with residency, you start off in this dream career that you've wanted. What was that first year like? And what were the subsequent years like leading to what ultimately has become uh, your career path? Yeah, so I did three years of residency at GW and I ended there as chief resident. I did a year of fellowship at um, Office of the Chief Medical Examiner in New York City, affiliated with NYU. And then I went to Houston, Harris County, um, Texas, and I was um, an attending physician. And Houston is a big county. It's the third largest county in the country. Uh, Harris County is the third largest county in the country. Houston's a big city. Which is where um, I live. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so you already know there's a lot of lot of deaths in in Harris County, um, of of all types, you know, um, and and so while I was there in my first year, um, I got tapped to to become the assistant deputy chief medical examiner for Harris County. I was first year, mm. and by the end of the first year, they were moving. A, uh, a, a an investigator out of in charge of the investigations division and they wanted a physician to be in charge of the investigations division um and there were so many people that had seniority over me uh but in that short i think seven months i had shown my leadership uh and work ethic uh to to those above me and you know, I applied for the position and got promoted within my first year. And that was really the beginning of kind of true organizational leadership um, that I was actually being paid to be an organizational leader. I had 26 employees. Um, I had a 24 seven operation, had a $2.2 million budget. Um, and my job was to ensure that death investigations happened all over Harris County 24, seven days a week um uh bumpy start you know i didn't know how to manage a budget i didn't know how to manage people although i had intrinsic skills of leadership that i learned in football right mm -hmm. everything that everything you know people now get mad at me because everything i say is a football analogy um surrounding leadership because you know i learned a lot from that uh i started you know teaching myself management skills and going online and picking up books and you know maxwell is one of the persons that I go to, um, you know, to, to get leadership from his books. Um, and so I, I became a, a, you know, a street MBA, um, mm -hmm. never went and got my master's of business administration. I still got time. I may, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but learned it there. And then while I was there, you know, again, having children, you know, none of this is devoid of my marriage. Um, none of my career aspirations is devoid of the the level of strength and support that my wife and children have given me throughout the process. None of it is devoid of my faith and my revelation of who Jesus Christ is in my life, um, that revelation of who I need to be for community, for self and for family. And that revelation of who you need to be for for yourself, community and family is critically important in manhood. Right. So if you're going to become a man, you have to have a revelation of self to what you're being called to do. And that call needs to be uncomfortable. 
right? In order for it to be real, you need to be pulled into something that you're not, that you don't feel totally qualified for in order for it to be impactful. And so um, I was pulled into uh, places as in this leadership position, but also in my marriage and also in ministry that were happening at the same time in Houston. And God was calling me and saying, listen, I have something for you and I'm preparing for you. And I said, well, I, I want to go back home. And he said, I have something for you and I'm preparing it for you. And uh, about four years in, I got, uh, my, my grandmother wasn't doing well. She was dying. And my wife's grandmother was dying. And both of our mothers were suffering because they were the primary caregivers for, 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 our, for our grandmothers. And so I said, it's time to go. And so I called, there was a new, there was a chief position in the Northern region of New Jersey, a retirement that was happening. I knew the woman, I called her up and I said, I wanna come and take over from, from you. Would you put in a good word? And she said, you wanna come here? I said, I wanna come and take over for you um, as you retire um, because I heard you're retiring, would you put in a good word? And she did. And I became the youngest chief medical examiner in the country, uh, in the Northern region of New Jersey, that's Essex, Hudson, Passaic County, Somerset counties, and became the acting state medical examiner in New Jersey. And that was back in 2011. Um, and so we moved our family, uh, back to New Jersey to become the chief there. And how old are you at that point? So in 2011, how old am I now? 46 is 2000 and, and, so you're about and 37, 37. Yeah. Wow. So I'm 37 and I was the youngest and uh, one of the only black chief medical examiners of a major institution. So, um, so I was there um, and, you know, uh, uh, moved back to Jersey, you know, was close to family. It was, it was a good situation. I thought I was going to be chief there for a long time and move from acting to the actual state chief position. Um, I was under Chris Christie and his administration didn't see fit to make me the offer. I had been working for about a year and a half and they never was willing to make me the official person. Um, and while I was there, I got a phone call from a headhunter saying that the District of Columbia was looking for a new chief medical examiner and that I was on a short list uh, of individuals. And would I be interested? I said, I, you know, I went to Howard. I did my residency at GW. My wife is from D.C. And, and my current job doesn't want to make me the guy. So let's look at D.C. And so um, in 2014, uh, I became the chief medical, the 12th chief medical examiner of Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, and have been running this office for the last six years. We've we've moved from a seven million dollar budget to a 13 million dollar budget. We've moved from a um, staffing of about 76 people to a staffing of 103. We moved from grants from thirty thousand dollars a year to um, last year, we did $2.2 million in grants. Um, uh, we moved from not being accredited to being fully accredited and on the verge of being doubly accredited from an international standard. Um, we moved from not having a fellowship to being approved for a fellowship and our fellows will start in, 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 in July, 2021. Um, 
So, you know, built a, a great team around around me. Uh, still, is, still am a street MBA, uh, but I spent a lot of time doing the, the Masters of uh, Business Administration work online. And 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 now in the COVID response, built a built a uh, response construct for our 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 community who is dying from COVID. Uh, built a robust violence prevention construct within the city and been instrumental in that work. Um, so doing a lot of the work that 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 God has called me to 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 do. You know, you just have a phenomenal story. I hate that we couldn't figure out how to keep you down here in Houston, Harris County. But as yeah. you said, God had a had something waiting packaged just right for you. Uh, so it's interesting. We actually, I don't know if you remember this, we met in June 2014. It was the closing session for the Master Series Distinguished Leadership Program when our mutual friend, Steve Hockaday, brings you over to our closing luncheon and says, this is my buddy, my boy from Jersey. He's chief medical examiner for DC. And we're all like, oh, wow, look at this young brother. I didn't realize that was the year you became uh, chief medical examiner. Yep. So yep. I, I, I had I, only been turned myself into the story some kind of way. <laughs> listen, listen, you're in the story because you're promise driven, and um, and and that you're 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 building out uh, systems versus responding to symptoms. Yeah. Uh, and so we know that that we share we share a common lineage uh, yes. to to what we're trying to do in this in this country and for our people. So here, here. Uh, beyond your medical career, you've talked so much about your faith and family. You know, it goes without saying the incredible role that your family has played in supporting your efforts. But talk to me, talk to us a bit more about your ministry and how do you balance um, juggling all these obligations? You know, it. you know, my ministry is, is you know, evolving, um, you know, really trying to understand what my voice is um, and how how I'm how God is going to use me, um, you know I feel like um, you know I'm still shedding an old skin. Um, some of the things you know, like Paul, some of the things that I I I, I want to do I don't do, and some of the things that I don't want to do I still do. Um, so you know, don't want to leave anyone believing that this walk is a perfect one. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a flawed and, um, uh, uh, um, you know, individual and, and so just trying to, trying to pursue this greater self. And so the ministry is really a, a, a transparent one. Um, God has given me the ability to speak to my own frailty, uh, particularly to men. Uh, you know, a lot of my early ministry, uh, and still now is a men's ministry is and that's why being on your program is, is is so important to me uh because you know being a righteous man is a lonely proposition um our our socialization particularly as african-american men but black men in general if you set foot on the soils of this country is a misogynistic um disconnected um uh approach to 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 life we're taught um, to, uh, to, to look to material and look to women for our satisfaction, um, where, 
that is actually the exact opposite of where manhood exists. Manhood exists in the pursuit of God and self and the service of others. And so when you make that paradigm shift, it becomes lonely if the people around you aren't shifting as well. And so building a community and a culture around righteousness uh, is, is really my ministry and bringing a light, bringing God's light into dark places and being unapologetic about the relevancy of Jesus Christ's life. Like the dude was, was dope. I mean, he, he, the, the way he came on the scene and the way he, he challenged authority and the way he, way he, uh, uh, appropriated the current, uh, uh, religion and the current thoughts and theology towards a better relationship between neighbor and a tearing down of the Roman empire and the, um, uh, the 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 Jewish tradition that was um, was lying about its true worth and true self, uh, man. I mean, I, I the dude was no joke, and so to really make him relevant um, to to those that are trying to seek a better walk, um, particularly in manhood, is kind of where my ministry lies. I'm in seminary now at Fuller. So I'm, I'm in my fourth quarter of my first year um, and I'm part time online. And so, you know, when I leave work, I'm, I'm in the book and, you know, doing assignments and, you know, everybody in the house is studying for something. Uh, and um, so that ministry is there. And then I take calls and give calls right now. I'm, you know, like I said, I, I, I work with the, the brothers inside um, and their families on the outside. Um, but always, you know, this walk of faith um, is one where you always feel inadequate. You know, it, it, uh, uh, you know, a walk of faith really reminds you of um, your own your own faults. Uh, and so, there's so much more that I want to do, and so much more that I want to learn about him uh, with a big H. Um, that uh, keeps me humble, and then and then my work, right? Because, you know, you know, we had two homicides a day, uh, and there are brothers that are dying on in the street, um, and there are elders that are dying from coronary artery disease and diabetes and obesity, and we're dying at a higher rate from all major health issues, and so, you know, I even my job is a minister. You know, so yeah. even though I minister, you know, to people's spiritual health, I, you know, my 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 job is 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 trying to bring light into into this place and you know give these individuals um, a voice, uh, a voice for the voiceless. So um, I don't know if that's coherent, um, but but uh, you know, faith walk is you know it's so important so important because it gives you purpose at least it gives me purpose certainly i want to go if there was advice you could offer to a 20 or 30 year old version of yourself what would that advice be mm. 20 year let's go with 20 first um if if if, if the 20 year old man the 20 year old was 
20 year old was um, at Howard studying for the MCAT, had two jobs. Um, I would tell my 20 year old self, keep on, keep on, keep on working. Um, strengthen your faith, keep on working. Uh, don't worry about your father. You know, at, at 20 years old, man, I was consumed with my fatherlessness. Um, I hadn't seen him since I was 10 years old. Um, and I was consumed with the fact that he was never there. Uh, really from the age of 15 to the age of like 22, I was consumed with the fact that I felt alone, um, even in the midst of people, right? Um, so my adolescent self, I would say, he, don't worry about your father. You're going to have an opportunity. And you know, at 22, 23 years old, I went and got him um, and he came and lived with me and he became sober. And now me and my boys going over every every other week and cut his lawn. You know what I'm saying? Um, and he's doing well. And we're good friends. Um, and that's a truly remarkable part of your story, yeah. uh, which I just recently learned about. And and could you share a bit about what your relationship is now like with your father beyond just cutting his lawn on the weekends? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because he called me on Father's Day and he said, Happy Father's Day. Um, he said, I'm telling my son Happy Father's Day. Mm. Uh, because, you know, that relationship that I have with him was one that when I when I went and got him, I set the, the ground rules and he lived with me and I provided for him and all the things that he didn't do, I did for him um, and was able to forgive him in a space that gave him room uh, to heal. Um, and he needed that forgiveness in order to heal. Uh, and I needed that forgiveness in order to heal. And so now we're really good friends um and you know he's 81 years old um and you know we had some health scares but he's doing well and um you know we talk a couple times a week and you know uh he still he gives me advice and we pray together and um he's a good man mm. a good man so we have a really good relationship um the 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 30 year old self uh, I probably would tell myself, um, study harder the word, uh, study harder the word, get closer. Um, I would tell, I would tell him, stay in there with your marriage. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, at 30 years old, I was having my third child. Uh, my wife was having our third child and, uh, we, we were, um, you know, early in our marriage. And so there was a lot of bumping heads, still good, but, but not as good as it is now, 18 years later. Um, but, but yeah, we would say, save your money. You know what I'm saying? Get your money right. You know, uh, I would tell myself, get your money right, man. And I wasn't bad with the money, but you know, I'm better now than I was then when, you know, uh, uh, 16 years later. Right. So, so yeah, you have to retake two boards, the first level and second level. Do I dare ask with their times you consider throwing in the towel? Never, never. Simple and short, never. I like it. Never, never, will not be denied. Will yeah. not be denied. 
This is um, this is a contact sport, the freedom of black people, bro. It's a contact sport. Contact sport. So nobody's you're not allowed. It's funny because you know, I was going through something when I was a freshman and I was I, I had failed my first exam at Howard and I was like, I can't do it. How will be a doctor? You know, I was what was me and this brother, man, he's my friend to this day, Umar, Umar Abdul Rabil. This is my good brother. He said, man, how many mountains have you climbed to get to where you are? I said, innumerable. Mm. He said, you're going to sit at the bottom of this mountain crying? Then all the mountains you've climbed before mean nothing. This is a this is an 18-year-old giving me that when I'm 18. So it's so important to have a group of 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 of, of men, brothers around you if you're gonna if you're gonna be successful, that wanna see you successful and you want to see them successful, that won't lay, let you lay down and just lick your wounds, are gonna pick you up on the battlefield and say, come on, we gotta go. And so there is no the, the the only the worst thing that can happen with failure is that you don't try again. That's the worst thing. Failure has to happen. You're going to fail at something. You're not going to miss the meet the mark every time. The question is, how do you what what type of resolve do you have um, to 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 move to the next level? You, you you reach sort of what some might consider a peak of your career at such an early point. Yeah. Uh, so it, and the ho- higher you go, the harder it becomes to find people to mentor you. Who are your sounding boards and, and how do you get that edification at this present time in your career? Uh, my pastor, um, you know, I, I talk to my pastor on a regular basis. I have good childhood friends that are we're tracking you know what i'm saying i got good brothers from howard that we're tracking so i sound off of uh off of good brothers that i met at howard i have a group as a group chat that we that we sound off on and then i got a couple brothers from childhood that we sound off on um i have a pastor that we sound off on um i have some professional mentors um both men and women that um that i that i speak through things that are relevant to to the, that relationship um so yeah 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 and, and, you know i'm not i'm not my title so that's that's another thing i'm not uh, you know oh i'm i'm this nah i'm my name is george floyd <laughs> here here you hear me i, I dig name, it my name is rayshard brooks that's my name so you know the titles don't mean nothing and that's not even good english right (laughs) i mean it 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 means nothing it means nothing it means how do i impact community for my people with that title because when i'm gone from this chair the chair has the title i don't have the title Mm -hmm. so when i leave the chair i won't have it so i still have to be connected in a way that allows for us to move things forward. What's on the horizon for you and any closing remarks you want to offer? Man, you know, sky's the limit, man. I told my kids the other day, I don't even know what I want to be when I grow up. You know, I told I told my boy, I told my kids, my my, my three kids, I said, I hope y'all are 
working hard because you know I always dreamt like I can I want to I want to supersede my parents. Sure. And I make I told her I'm making it hard for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm making it hard. Big shoes. Listen, I'm not I'm making it hard for y'all. So y'all better get it together. You know, no man, listen man, whatever God has, man. You know, building relationships with brother like brothers like you, man. Um creating opportunities financially for those that don't have, you know, really creating opportunities so that we can, you know, create systems. Um, so, so those are, those are the types of things that we're, uh, you know, I'm trying to do. We'll see professionally, you know, where I land, um, you know, but, and, and so, so I'm not, I'm not sure. I want to be a great father and a great husband um, and serve my community the best I can. As far as advice or final words, you know, it's not easy um, right now. Uh, and there's a lot going on, uh, particularly in communities of color um, with the pandemic, as well as, you know, um, the social issues that are happening. But there's the, the great thing about it is, um, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, of a plant called the Moringa uh, plant. Um, the moringa plant is used, um, its seed is used to purify water. And you put the moringa um, seed in water that may have come out of a creek or may have come out of a river. And it, it settles all of this, it forces all of the impurities out of the water so that the pureness of the water can be drinking water. Um, that's what's happening right now. The impurities of society are being, are being brought to the top by all of these forces. And that impurity, particularly surrounding racial and social justice, now we have an opportunity to skim the impurities off the top and have something that a distillate, a, a, a pureness that we can operate in. And so it's our job now to do the work. It's our job to, 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 to engage in a way um, that ensures the freedom of, 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 of all people, uh, but the freedom of the, of the fatherless and the widows. Um, this is our opportunity. And so there's a lot of work to be done, man. And so, you know, let's, let's, let's come together. Let's, let's build infrastructure. Let's do it together um, so that we're not, um, we're not operating uh, alone or in silos. So I thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, my brother. It's been an absolute delight. We've talked about uh, the identity and foundation of a man being in faith and in self reconciliation. You've talked about the importance of family and building a legacy and drawing back on the history of family. And you've talked about the importance of service to community. My guest today has been Dr. Roger Mitchell, Washington, D.C. Medical Examiner. My name is Lalda Davis Yemerton, and you've been listening to my brother podcast. Brother, you